The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 930 AM, The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Thank you very much for joining us today, my friends, on this beautiful Saturday, June 13th. Uh, we've got a great show, as usual, for you. We've got, uh, first of all, let me tell you about the guests, and then um, I'll launch into uh, some commentary. But first of all, uh, we've got Dave Ray from the um, from FAIR, from the Federation for uh, American Immigration Reform. Uh, Dave Ray is going to be talking to us about this uh, continuing push uh, by the cheap labor lobby in uh, Washington, D.C., to uh, allow foreign workers, to give foreign workers a break uh, over American workers. I mean, it's incredible, my friends, because we've got a a huge unemployment problem thanks to COVID, thanks to uh, the overreaction, in my opinion, to the uh, China virus. Uh, But um, we've got uh, this this cheap labor lobby that's uh, trying to push through uh, favorable conditions for more uh, foreign workers, and, uh, of course, uh, lobbying for more uh, foreign workers. Uh, he's also going to chat with us a little bit about uh, the DACA ruling, which may be coming down at any time uh, by the Supreme Court. Um, also, we've got um, my good friend Brandon Judd, who is the uh, president of the National uh, Border Patrol Council, uh, Brandon's going to be giving us an update about um, the role that the Border Patrol is playing uh, in supporting the uh, the police uh, in many communities and supporting the community the, the 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 police as well as what is happening with the uh, uh, at the border. Uh, Brandon, uh, of course, uh, with the Border Patrol has seen this uh, abolish Border Patrol, abolish ICE movement. They've endured it. Now we are looking at uh, abolish uh, the police. So uh, he's going to give us their perspective. Uh, Finally, we've got uh, Congressman Chip Roy uh, from the uh, 21st District uh, here in Texas. Uh, The congressman recently uh, was very, very uh, uh, instrumental in uh, having a bill that he proposed uh, go through the through the. House and then through the Senate, so it's uh, the bill is now waiting uh, signature from the uh, from the president to help the uh, small businesses to go ahead and and utilize the stimulus money. Many of the small businesses were not able to utilize uh, to use the stimulus money because of red tape, because of uh, several crazy requirements. So uh, thanks to um, to uh, Congressman Roy. Uh, they've changed. They've made some changes to the uh, stimulus money, and um, uh, small businesses will be able to use it. So we're going to hear from him. So uh, welcome to the show. Let me go ahead and start with uh, with with uh, my rant, um, because one of the crazy things, the hypocrisies, the hypocrisies, and we're seeing a lot of hypocrisies in this whole situation with uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Uh, running amok uh, in the streets. Uh, first of all, in um, in Seattle, as you've all have heard, they've taken over seven blocks, 
And uh, they are controlling these seven blocks. Uh, they've created a zone of their own, a, an autonomous country, so to, so to speak. At least that's what they claim. First of all, they ran out of food, and they weren't uh, thinking of it. And when they did run out of food, it was hysterical because one of the tweets that they sent out uh, regarding their food, regarding the food, was um, <clears throat> that they were uh, that they wanted vegan meat, uh, and uh, that uh, the uh, one of them actually said that the homeless people that they had invited in, that they had stolen the food. <laughs> It was incredible. I, you know, these people, these people are such snowflakes, such snowflakes. Uh, be, they, they were ill-prepared. They are ill-prepared. They have no idea what they're doing, and they, they want mommy and daddy to, to, to continue taking care of them. Uh, the third thing that has happened is that they have established, get this, they have established a perimeter, a guarded perimeter, because they have a border. How about that? Can you imagine? They have a border. And uh, this border is protected. It's secured. They have uh, folks come nightfall. They uh, put up these. Uh, uh, they have already put up barriers, of course. Uh, a wall. Can you imagine? Yes. They put up a wall. They put up these barriers. And uh, so they determine who comes in and who, who does not. How about that? How about that? I mean, is that ironic or what? They also have a uh, a, a, a patrol uh, in fact, I believe that there is one guy, at least, who is armed, and um, they patrol the perimeter, and uh, again, like I said, they determine who comes in and, and who does not. Uh, you know, if you don't find that ironic and hypocritical, I don't know what else. The, uh, the last thing is this uh, situation where uh, they have uh, apparently a warlord has developed, has uh, filled in the vacuum of... Uh, 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 of law uh, of uh, law enforcement, and uh, supposedly this character at night goes around and uh, uh, wants protection money, uh, or he uh, demands uh, he enforces the uh, the rules. If you are not um, following the rules, he enforces them. So you know, it, it, I find it so uh, ironic, so hypocritical that these people who want open borders, who want to get rid of the police force, who want an open society, shut the society down, establish a border, and then have somebody uh, that, uh, that, that runs around uh, pushing their form of law and order. Uh, it's a, you know, amazing. It, it, is, it is hypocritical and ironic. That's what it is. So uh, let me talk a little bit about this whole situation about getting rid of police, my friends. Um, what happens? What happens? I mean, what happens when you get rid of the police? You know, it, it, the whole idea is to stop police violence. Okay. All right. Great. Good. Very noble. Like all lib liberal ideas, it's very, very noble. But what happens, you know, if you get rid of the police? Okay. Police violence might stop, you know, because they're not there. But then what happens to black on black crime? What happens to uh, to drug and substance abuses, uh, abusers, as well as uh you know, the uh, out-of-controlled uh, homeless uh, or, or people that just don't know how to control their temper. What happens to them? Foremost, my friends, what happens to the gang violence that is endemic, that is, that is, that, that's, that's an epidemic in, uh, in black and brown communities? What happens to the gang violence? Who replaces the police? You know, who fills that vacuum? Well, I, I, you know, you don't have to go very far to understand what happens because all you have to do is just look at third world countries. Look at Mexico. 
You know who fills the vacuum of the of of, uh, of of police in keeping law and order? The cartels. And here in in uh, Seattle, we're seeing the same thing happen. We're seeing this this thug filling in for the police because law and order is necessary, my friends. Secondly, you know, you get rid of the police. Who's going to pay? Who's going to who, who, uh, who's going to replace them? Uh, a private security force, and if so, who's going to pay for them? And, and you know, one of the outrageous, outlandish things that was proposed at the George Floyd funeral was uh, the idea of UN peacekeepers on our shores. Yes, I mean, talk about violating the sovereignty of the United States. These peacekeepers, my friends, these peacekeepers. Uh, are, are are going to either turn into uh, the cartels or drug lords or whoever has the muscle, you know, like the mafia used to do it, or uh, it, it's going to have to come in. Uh, it, it's going to be people that have to come come in from the outside again. You know, this idea of uh, uh, of UN peacekeepers, you know, and not only do, do most people oppose that, uh, yours truly opposes it vehemently. You know, what we've got, my friends, are political bosses who are turning into dictators in these in these minority communities? You know, we call them we call these political bosses uh, community leaders or elected officials. You know, they can be com- congressional reps, they can be mayors, city council folks. But these guys, my friends, these guys are playing the role of community of of, of community bo- of community uh, uh, of um, political bosses. And a political boss, my friends, can is one step away from a crime boss. You give them the, enough power, they become a crown boss. Uh, you know, or the, the the drug lords who really, really have the muscle, you know, the crime bosses who really, really have the muscle uh, with guns, uh, they're going to muscle in. So, uh, you know, what, uh, let's face it. What have these political bosses done for the black and Hispanic communities, my friends? To date, what have they done? Those communities continue to be the poorest and most crime-filled. The people in, that live in those communities are dependent uh, on on the government and on the bosses. The bo- you know, nothing happens with uh, regarding politics or economics in those communities without the bosses signing off on it. You know, all you have to do is just look at look at how things are run in Baltimore and South Central Los Angeles and in Detroit and Chicago in every major city. Look at how they're run. Finally, my friends, there's the whole economic price that some of these character that some of these communities are going to have to pay the economic price, because not only do the do do these riots uh uh, scare jobs away, my friends. It also creates high insurance rates for people that want to stay there and live there. Lenders refuse to go in because, again, it's too high of a risk. But then the answer to all of this comes from liberals who say, "Well, we'll, we'll subsidize all of those risks. We'll subsidize. We'll make it. We'll make it uh, profitable for the insurance companies, for the lenders, uh, for businesses to come in." And how do they subsidize it? Well, they subsidize it with your tax money. That's how they do it. So, again, the taxpayer pays for, the, for these situations. They, we, we pay, even though Antifa and Black Lives Matter encourage the riots and help burn those places down. We end up paying. You know, without police, my friends, without police, these, uh, these folks uh, are, are going to have to pay. They're going to end up paying. For protection, and I'll use that that phrase. They're going to pay for protection without the police, and they're going to pay in many, many, many ways. They are going to pay in many, many ways. And who pays for all of it? The damaged bills, businesses, uh, 
you know, the, the, the economy that is ruined, who's going to pay for it? Well, we are. That's who's going to pay for it. And I, I will ask you bluntly, why should somebody in Texas, why should I pay for the crazy, out-of-control behavior of people in Minneapolis? I think it's time to draw the line. My friends, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Stick around. We'll be right back with our first guest. Thank you for supporting us. Stay safe. We'll be right back. El Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Howdy, 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 one my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And we've got um, we've we've got our, our good friend Dave Ray from the uh, from FAIR, from uh, the Federation for Immigration, uh, uh, American Immigration, let me get it right, just a minute, <laughs> Federation for American Immigration Reform, FAIR, in Washington, D.C., and I reached out today because we've got some important things happening in D.C. Besides all of the news that we hear about, we've got uh, a a lobbying effort for cheap labor, even though we've got uh, heaven knows how, what level of unemployment right now, uh, as well as uh, the Supreme Court may be uh, doing a ruling on uh, on DACA. So, Dave, welcome to the show. How is D.C. right now? Hey, George. Well, things are swampy in the swamp, just like they should be. Uh, <laughs> clam bake outside and nice and sultry, so that's exactly what people expect for Washington. But another thing that people should expect in Washington is that the business lobby will be exerting its, uh, its efforts to try to secure uh, more and more cheap labor, despite the fact that we have 43 million recently unemployed uh, Americans who are waiting to go back to work. What I'm talking about, George, is, uh, you know, you can never underestimate the greed of the Wall Street wing of the Republican Party. And uh, 21 Republican House members recently sent uh, a letter about the Optional Practical Training Program, OPT. That's a program probably few people have ever heard of, but basically what it does is allow employers to hire newly graduated foreign students and the, they're given the incentive of not having to pay payroll tax on those students. So in other words, it makes them a better deal for the employer than hiring a newly graduated American student. Now, this just doesn't make sense, does it, George? Particularly, you know, these new graduates are facing 
a job market where they suddenly have 43 million people compare, uh, competing for the opening jobs, and then we're going to uh, press uh, 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 the administration to streamline the OPT program so that employers can choose foreign graduates over American graduates. It just doesn't seem uh, to make any sense. You know, we have 4 million uh, annual graduates from American colleges, and most of those kids will be coming out with uh, student loan debt and with great dreams for their future, and they shouldn't have to compete on an unfair playing field because, again, OPT allows for foreigners who are hired uh, to be forgiven for their payroll tax. So it actually incentivizes uh, employers to go after them. So it just really doesn't uh, make any sense at all. And, you know, you look at public opinion on this issue now that we're months into the COVID-19 crisis, and, you know, 75% of Americans in, in some recent polls have called for actually halting or pausing immigration until Americans can get back to work, which is a common sense public policy. Why import people or hire people who are graduating who should be returning to their home countries when you have so many of your fellow citizens uh, unemployed, looking at, you know, losing their houses or losing their life savings because work is hard to find. And yet, uh, Wall Street Republicans just want more and more and more of this subsidized cheap labor. Let me also ask you this, because I mean, my understanding is that uh, you know these are these are obviously college grad uh, grad uh, foreign students. How uh, you know some of these uh, foreign students have also got to be Chinese, who uh, you know might be agents, might be uh, folks who are here trying to uh, get. Uh, intellectual uh, information, inter- intellectual, uh, uh, what do they call it, uh, the, the intellectual property. Intellectual property, property yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we know that that's happened. We, um, you know, roughly one-third of our, grad- of our, of our uh, foreign students in this country are from China. We know that some of their... One-third? One-third. Oh, my God. Some, some of their tuitions are paid directly by Beijing, so calling them an instrument of the government isn't really a stretch. We know that China uh, has excelled its stealing of American technology and taking it back to China and copying it and breaking copyrights and all that. And so, you know, but that's something, that's a question we need to ask before we admit them. I mean, you know, we really need to have a serious debate about whether or not we're going to allow uh, a country that is known for stealing uh, information, uh, patented information, and some of the best tech technology this country has, and taking it back home, and then uh, you know, you know, making uh, copying it and selling it on the open market. Whether or not those folks should have access to the best universities in the world. So, yeah, uh, you know, the, the point of this though in the OPT program is that. It's a program that actually places our own American kids, who many of whom have gone into debt to put themselves through college, places them at a disadvantage when competing with foreigners for jobs since employers don't have to pay the payroll tax on the OPT foreign students. So it's just real crazy. And, 
It, it just, you know, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. You know, and, and uh, Chinese espionage in the United States in 2018 and 2019, there were actually 370,000 Chinese students in the U.S. at that point, uh, which is <laughs> roughly about a third My gosh. of the foreign student population. Now, the nice side is that the good part is the good news, and uh, Ted, Senator Ted Cruz in Texas has led the way, along with Senator Tom, Tom Cotton, in opposing um, these guest worker programs and putting Americans first. So there's a, a, a much larger contingent of Republicans who are standing up to the cheap labor lobby than those who are kowtowing to it. But nevertheless, it is a huge problem, and uh, we hope President Trump uh, ignores the plea to uh, streamline the OPT program and to seriously consider whether or not we should do a temporary pause on all admissions of guest workers until American workers get back to work. Oh, gosh. I would I would hope and pray. I really would just hope and pray. Let me change the uh, subject real quick here. Um, over the weekend, uh, there were some uh, riots all over the place, as we know. Uh, in Phoenix, uh, there were three uh, DACA students that were arrested uh, for vandalism and uh, rioting and uh, fires, setting fires and whatnot. Uh, I understand that uh, the uh, Supreme Court uh, may be looking at um, at DACA, maybe doing a ruling. Uh, what's going on with that? Yeah, well, the Supreme Court uh, is hearing a challenge to DACA. There's about well, for your your listeners who are unaware, DACA is a program that was put together uh, deferred action. Um, for childhood arrivals. So these are people who arrived in the U.S. Uh, before certain dates and uh, have been allowed, uh, because, uh, this is an Obama era, basically what we would call an amnesty since it, it defers their deportation. It doesn't give them legal status, but it does give them the right to hold a job and to remain in the United States until the DACA decision is decided. So the, the, it's been challenged in the Supreme Court. The challenge is, is really whether or not the Trump administration has the authority to end the program. Now, that's kind of odd, given the fact that we think we would say the program was unconstitutional to, to begin with. Uh, but, but the Supreme Court could make a much larger um, decision than just whether or not the Trump administration has a right to end it. And it could decide whether or not this is a constitutional program to begin with, because it, it, it is certainly... Uh, surpasses the power of any president to, to to make an entire class, some 690,000 people, exempt from our immigration laws. <laughs> President, presidents, like Barack Obama said more than 20 times before he went ahead and did DACA, you know, I'm a president, not an emperor. Congress has to do this. Only Congress has the power to grant amnesty to large groups of illegal aliens. But President Obama went ahead and did this. Now, when this DACA decision uh, comes up and people argue about it, let me just remind your listeners, they're going to keep calling these DACA beneficiaries kids. They're going to call them, these DACA kids are here from no fault of their own, and they brought in. The first, first and foremost, what you need to tell yourself is that about 70% of DACA recipients are in their 20s, 30s, and some are nearing the age of 40. So by and large, these are not kids. By and large, these are adults 
who know that they are here in violation of the law. They know that they have a legal right to work in a different country. Uh, and so don't be fooled by the rhetoric of the open borders advocates who are going to insist on calling these people kids, although some of them are almost 40. Uh, the other thing that you, you can't be fooled by is the, the second favorite argument that Dr. Crowd likes to make is that these kids can't speak the, the language of their home nations. They've been here so long. Don't be fooled by that. At least 26 uh, of the countries where DACA recipients uh, hail from speak English as a first or a major language, including the U.K., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Ireland, and India. So, I mean, don't be fooled by that, but, but we do expect the court to rule any day now, certainly by, before the end of June, and that will be a, uh, a real interesting time in the immigration reform movement. Excellent. Dave, thank you for taking time to be with us today. Um, tell the folks how they can follow and contribute to, uh, to FAIR because you guys are an excellent organization. Well, thanks, George. FAIR is the Federation for American Immigration Reform. We're the nation's largest immigration watchdog group. We're based in the swamp in the belly of the beast, uh, Washington, D.C., right on Capitol Hill. We've been fighting for over 40 years uh, to secure our borders and to remake uh, America's legal immigration system in the national interest. Check us out online at fairus.org, on Twitter at hashtag fairimmigration, or on Facebook at Federation for American Immigration Reform. We have 2 million members across the country. We're a 501c3 nonprofit, so donations to FAIR are tax-deductible. And please join FAIR and help us fight to regain common sense for our immigration laws. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And we've got our good friend, uh, Brandon Judd. Uh, president of the National Border Patrol Council, and uh, I wanted to reach out to him because I wanted to find out how uh, the Border Patrol is faring uh, during this these tumultuous times, during all of this, uh, all of these uh, problems that we're having in the cities. Because uh, some agents have been deployed to uh, do, do backup. So, um, Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Uh, tell us what, uh, how is the Border Patrol doing? Uh, what is the Border Patrol doing in uh, in uh, their deployment as well as uh, working on the border, doing their own job? Well, we appreciate the opportunity to help our, our local law enforcement partners. I mean, any time that, uh, that a local organization is overwhelmed due to any sort of emergency situation, they have the uh, opportunity to reach out to um, their federal partners and ask for assistance. And so the Border Patrol has been there and ready to assist local law enforcement in the event um, that they are overwhelmed due to uh, potential looting, uh, potential rioting, um, and, and different things like that, it, different things of that nature. Now, uh, the vast majority of virtual agents that I know, uh, they recognize and, and they fully appreciate the Constitution and they appreciate uh, individuals' rights to peacefully protest. Um, and if that's what individuals want to do, by all means, uh, peacefully protest. Uh, but when you uh, take the law into your own hands and when you start uh, um, harming businesses, when you start
start looting, when you start rioting, um, that becomes a different situation. Um, and, and that does, in fact, require law enforcement then to step in to keep the, the peace and, and to ensure that no harm comes to innocent people or innocent businesses um, and the economic um, prosperity continues. And so that's what, uh, that's what Border Patrol agents have been able to the Border Patrol looks to see if they have the resources to, uh, to assist in those situations. Now, uh, it, which communities have they been, has the Border Patrol mostly been deployed to? Which, uh, I know that there was, there was a good number in Washington, D.C., but there are other communities where they have uh, uh, played a backup role, correct? We have. We have the Border Patrol backup role in many different, um, in many different locations, Arizona. Um, uh, Texas was, was asking uh, to, for us to be prepared to assist. Um, I don't think that we ever had to in, in Texas, but San Diego. Um, San Diego requested assistance, and, and Border Patrol agents have been deployed to help local law enforcement in, in San Diego as well. Um, but the, the main, the, the majority of the agents that assisted in, um, in riot control and crowd suppression and so on and so forth was, uh, was in Washington, D.C. Um, we had a, a large number of Border Patrol agents that were deployed to assist in, in, um, in a backup role um, to local law enforcement in Washington, D.C. Now, obviously, uh, if uh, the Border Patrol is busy uh, doing backup and, and working in this capacity, uh, that means uh, the manpower is affected on the border, correct? It is. It is. And that's, that's where the balancing act takes place. Um, we have to look at uh, what are uh, the manpower situations on the border, um, because that is our number one job. Our number one job is to uh, patrol and secure the border. Uh, and, and so when, when we get the, uh, the request from the local law enforcement, we have to weigh our resources on the border um, and what we can afford to, to deploy. Now, uh, obviously, in, in emergent situations, um, and we've seen this in many different uh, situations, not just in, um, in, in this situation where there's been a large number of riots taking place, um, but in natural disasters, hurricanes, uh, um, our agents have been deployed um, to assist in, in, in uh, emergency situations uh, such as natural, natural disasters. Um, but what that does is it does pull our resources off of the border, um, and it puts additional pressure on the agents that are there on the border patrolling um, to continue to, to maintain the border security. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult balancing act, but it's one that our agents uh, stand up to and say, you know, we're willing to take this on. We're willing to do the best that we can. We're willing to provide the, uh, the necessary resources and assistance to our local partners, um, whether it's in riding situations or natural disasters, and we're also willing to continue to do the best that we can on our border to secure the, the, the safety and security of our nation um, from those that would do us harm by crossing our borders illegally. Now, we had heard from uh, some, some uh, media outlets were talking about how uh, the pandemic in Mexico could, and I'll use that word, could cause a uh, stampede of people crossing the border into the United States. Uh, have we seen anything like that? We haven't. Um, in fact, the numbers, uh, the numbers are way down um, since uh, Title 42 went into effect. Uh, President Trump, one of the things that, uh, that he's constantly done is he constantly looks at uh, how he can think outside the box, how he can um, uh, create border security um, by not making the same mistakes that have been made in the past and by not 
continuing operation that just flat out didn't work. And Title 42 has driven uh, the number of illegal border crossers down exponentially, um, which is one of the reasons why Border Patrol agents just have not seen um, uh, the pandemic hit them as hard as what other uh, law enforcement agencies, such as the New York um, Police Department. Um, We just haven't been hit with COVID-19 near as hard as other law enforcement agencies simply because um, of the presence initiatives and and Title 42 and driving those numbers of illegal border crossers down. Wow. So you guys don't keep them like when the kids were coming across uh, a few years ago. Uh, you were literally having to uh, set up uh, uh, holding centers and daycare centers and whatnot. You're not doing that anymore. You're just uh, um, deporting the person if they're from Mexico almost immediately? Yeah, it's, it's direct expulsion. Um, so when people cross the border illegally, um, we do not even process them for deportation proceedings. Um, we immediately expel them back to their countries. Um, obviously, if you're not from Mexico, it, it creates uh, a little bit more of a difficulty because we have to uh, prepare flights um, to take these individuals back. But these are happening um, on a daily basis. Uh, and so the, the numbers of, of people that are crossing the border, knowing that they're just going to get expelled directly back to their country rather than go through a deportation procedure, they're just not they're, they're just not making the uh, the choice to uh, to make that journey to spend all that money, knowing that they're just going to get expelled right back to their country. It's just not happening. Fantastic. Now, uh, you guys, the Border Patrol and ICE, uh, went through this or have been going through this whole. Uh, uh, movement of trying to be abolished, uh, uh, the movement to to abolish you by these uh, liberals and radical progressives that the police are now finding themselves in. Uh, how have uh, how have the agents we- weathered under that uh, under that uh, those attacks and those? Uh, have you had a hard time recruiting? Uh, are there large uh, are the people retiring? I mean, what's 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 been the what's been the result of that? Uh, uh, push and, and attack, yeah. All of the above, and and that's that's the most difficult part, I believe, of of the job that we face is, is the constant political pandering, the constant pressure uh, that exists, just simply because uh, a base of a political party does not like law enforcement. Then you have politicians that stand up and say, well, we want to get rid of law enforcement. If you got rid of law enforcement, you would have full and, and total pandemonium. Um, when you look at, at, at the Minneapolis City Council, um, when a number of their members, um, a veto-proof number of their members come out and say that they're going to disband the police department, um, it would be complete and total lunacy if they did that. There would be nothing but chaos um, in the city of Minneapolis. Now, do I agree that that we need to make sure that we don't have the rogue police officers like Chauvin? Absolutely. We have to look at that, and we have to say we can't have police officers taking the law into their own hands, um, and there's a, there, there's a way to go about that. But to talk about disbanding a police force, to talk about disbanding ICE, to talk about disbanding Border Patrol, to have just borders just wide open to where people can just flood from all different countries. Again, this is not just a, a – border security is not just about Mexico. It's not just about Central America. It's about all countries. It's about Iran. It's about Iraq. It's about China. It's about Russia. It's about all of these different countries. We take people into custody from all different nations, not just Mexico, 
not just Central America. We take people into custody that cross the borders illegally from all countries. So when you talk about disbanding law enforcement, all you're talking about is creating complete and total pandemonium um, where you just don't have, um, um, you know, the safety and security that we've enjoyed in this country. We, again, have to look at and have to ensure that we do not have rogue officers like the Chavins of the world, but we continue to need a robust and good law enforcement workforce to ensure the safety and security of the citizens of this great nation. And so needless to say, I mean, the, the, the very, very idea of abolishing ICE, abolishing the Border Patrol, or abolishing the police departments uh, is ludicrous and, uh, and, and, and ridiculous, correct? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's completely ludicrous. I mean, it, it, it only makes sense if you want anarchy, if you want chaos. If you want that, by all means, do it. Um, if, if, if Minneapolis actually goes forward and does this, it will be the model of, of everything that is wrong with this movement to ab- uh, abolish the, the, the police department. I hope they don't do it. I, don't, I hope that we don't have to have that model for everything that's wrong. But if they do it, it's going to set it up to where nobody ever does it again because Minneapolis will fall apart if they abolish the police department. You know, I, I just cannot, I cannot imagine a nation without law enforcement, whether it's on the border or whether it's in our communities. I just cannot, cannot understand that. No, uh, can I? Folks, we've been talking with uh, our good friend Brandon Judd, uh, president of the uh, Border Patrol Council, national president of the uh, Border Patrol Council. Uh, Brandon, thank you very much for being with us. Stay safe, please. Always good to talk to you. Thank you very much. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez and Conservador on KLUP 930 AM radio. And uh, we've got uh, a special guest with us. Uh, we've got uh, Congressman Chip Roy, my congressman from the uh, 21st District here in Texas. And I wanted to reach out to him for two things. First of all, uh, this issue of the vote by proxy that Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, has proposed. Um, it's getting a lot of pushback from Republicans. And I wanted to ask him to explain to folks what uh, what's that all about? And then the second thing, he's got a, a bill that actually went through. So uh, welcome to the show, Congressman. Thank you for taking time to be with us. What is this uh, all about that Nancy Pelosi has proposed uh, to uh, vote by proxy? I'm not sure. You know, what does that mean? Can you explain to us? Sure. Yeah, George, I appreciate being on the show, of course, as always. Uh, and it's a little worse than, than, than just Nancy proposing it. In fact, she put it through, and the House of Representatives voted uh, two weeks ago. 
uh, close to party line vote, although some Democrats went with us on it, uh, to allow vote by proxy. Now, some people might confuse that with remote voting. Uh, this is different. Uh, this is uh, allowing an individual to essentially hand over to another member their duty or obligation to vote for their constituents. Um, you know, they, now they, they hide behind the fact that they're giving them a specific yes or no on a specific bill and that they, you know, give it to them in writing, you know, as if they were in the chamber. But for the first time in 231 years of our history, through the Civil War, through World Wars, through Yellow Fever, through the Spanish Flu, uh, we are now allowing an, an individual member of Congress to hand over their voting obligation to another member. We believe that's unconstitutional. We believe that it dilutes the representation of constituents who are now being represented by a member who has only one vote, while a member like uh, Don Beyer in Virginia was carrying nine votes by proxy. He went in and voted nine times on the floor of the House in his name and in the name of eight others. Heard yesterday. Um, same with uh, uh, Chairman Raskin, who uh, is uh, someone that voted for, I think, five members. Uh, we believe this is unconstitutional. We filed litigation on, uh, I think, Tuesday. Uh, and I was one of the lead uh, Republicans in putting that litigation together uh, with uh, Leader McCarthy, along with uh, a number of other folks. And uh, we filed a suit, and we will see what happens. Obviously, it's going to go to district judge. I think we, we drew a very liberal Obama appointee. But Supreme Court... And have a true, uh, you know, discussion about what, and then hopefully a good conclusion as to what constitutes actual voting uh, responsibility to do it, ensuring that a quorum is present. Now, for your listeners, remember that the Constitution requires, in writing, the Constitution is very clear about this, requires a quorum, and that that quorum be a majority. And uh, it, it requires and contemplates that we would have a presence, physical presence. It gives us the structure in which we operate. Keep in mind that in 1793, in the heat of a fledgling nation, uh, in the heat of a yellow fever pandemic in Philadelphia, 5,000 Americans died. Uh, that is of a population of 50,000, or that's 10%. Wow. There, are, there are over 1.5 million people in Philadelphia, over 2 million in the greater area. That would be the equivalent of almost 200,000 people dying in just Philadelphia. Okay, So our founders found a way to get through that. Now, if you go back and look at the history, and I talked about this on the floor of the House, you, I'd encourage your listeners to pull up the link on my website at roy.house.gov, where I, I spoke about this on the floor. Uh, James Madison, the father of the Constitution, wrote a letter to George Washington, the then president and father of the country, uh, outlining why it was very important that we find the right way for Congress to convene, to meet, to meet in person, and that physical presence matters. This letter outlines why the, the sort of mechanism around they were struggling about trying to figure out how to honor all of that in the spirit of the Constitution to ensure that we voted. Uh, I've got another letter a friend of me uh, sent to me a little bit earlier from Thomas Jefferson uh, getting into some of the same issues. Uh, they were working hard to make sure that representation was actually achieved in our fledgling nation. And for 231 years, we've maintained that. We should not throw it overboard now. One final point. There was a member of Congress in Florida, Charlie Chris, who sent in his letter saying he was unable to make the vote because of the pandemic. Do you know where he was when he sent that letter in? He went to the rocket launch in Florida. <laughs> this is what you're going to see, and it's just the beginning. We hope to challenge this and win. It's unconstitutional and it's wrong. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I, I, uh, I voted to uh, have you represent me, and I would hate for 
you know, somebody else to uh, to vote in your place. <laughs> I mean, that just makes the, it makes sense. It, it's a great explanation. I mean, that that is fantastic. I'm, I hope people will understand that. Now, tell us about uh, your the this legislation that uh, that actually went through. So, uh, your listeners will know we passed the PPP uh, program. Uh, in March as part of a very large bill that I had many problems with, uh, not the least of which was it included a provision that increased unemployment insurance and it causes a, uh, our nation to be paying people more not to work than to work. As a result of that, plus some tight restrictions in the PPP, the fact that the money has gone out, $650 billion of the fee has gone out to 4 million businesses, that is uh, a good achievement in order to keep them afloat. However, it is not actually uh, enabling them to know that they can survive through these continued extended delays by local officials and, importantly, that unemployment insurance uh, issue because they put restrictions in the bill requiring you to use the money to hire people back or to keep employees. But the problem is it's hard to hire them back if you don't have people in your restaurant or you don't have people in your hotel or you don't have people at your live music venue or you don't have people to cut their hair. And then when you are trying to hire them back, you're trying to hire somebody back who's making more on unemployment than they made when they were working for you. That was wrong. And, and George, you're a conservative. I'm a conservative. Your listeners are probably generally conservative and believe in limited government and believe in not uh, racking up debt uh, to just throw money at a problem. They believe in fiscal responsibility. Uh, and we all do. Uh, the issue here is the reason why I supported a limited but, but a significant pop to try to make businesses whole is I view it like eminent domain. I view it like a taking. We had government reacting to this virus. History will judge whether we did that properly or not. I think we overreacted and overshut down. But regardless of your view on that, government reacted, and as a result of government action, businesses were having to shut down. That means it was like a taking, right? That you could, the, the restaurant could carry out their business. So I believed it was incumbent upon government to try to make them whole compensate them for the regulatory taking, if you will, of their uh, livelihood. And uh, But I think it ought to be effective. So we passed legislation on a bipartisan basis that adds flexibility, increases the length of time you have to hire employees, allows you to, uh, to use some of the money for more mortgage, rent, utilities, not just employees, uh, allows you to take, your, take advantage of uh, payroll tax deferrence and uh, other provisions that will give them more flexibility to survive. It was endorsed by 80 massive groups, Chamber of Commerce, NFIB, National Restaurant Association, and we got it through 417 to 1. And I hope it gets over the Senate. I hope the Senate will uh, pass it expeditiously. Excellent. I, it really, really is important that that, that happen. I mean, you know, the flexibility, I like the way that you use that word because that is one of the headaches that we always have with these uh, with these programs is that, uh, you know, there is no flexibility. It's a, a bureaucracy that doesn't bend. So I applaud you on it. Uh, it, it, it. Let me ask you real quick. Do you think that the, this situation that we're looking at right now, that we might be going into a cultural, uh, uh, well, a, a cultural change where people, some people are getting used to the idea of staying home and still getting paid? <laughs> well, this is one of the things that I'm primarily concerned about is to remember that, you know, you can't have a... Uh, paycheck be protected, if you will, right? This is the Paycheck Protection Plan. You can't have a paycheck be protected. You can't have guaranteed, uh, you know, uh, paid leave. You can't have any of these things if you don't have a job, right? And the government is 
is is going in here and putting in all these restrictions and saying they're doing all these things to try to pay people because of this virus. When the issue here is we need people figuring out how to adapt and go out and get their jobs and care for themselves and force this economy back into action. That's, that really is what needs to happen. And we need to culturally remind ourselves that when you, you're, you're a, a business owner and you risk capital, right? People think, oh, the, the business and capital, these are evil things in, in some people's minds. Um, these small businesses, right? I mean, I have 2,300 restaurants in the district I represent, 53,000 employees. A lot of them are family businesses, mom-and-pop shops. You know the Cortez family in San Antonio, Mitierra, and all the various great restaurants in San Antonio. There's dozens, hundreds like that. Uh, Jimmy Hoslocker and, and Jim's restaurant chain, all of those sorts of places. These are these are family businesses that, that they might be sizable now because they've got 12 or 15 or you know, 20 franchises around or, or, or different restaurants around their, uh, San Antonio or, the, or Central Texas, but they, they employ a large number of people, and we need to keep, keep those jobs in place so that people have work to go back to. We do not want to create a culture where it's government that is supposed to uh, provide for our needs and resources uh, and the means of, of, of distribution. Uh, you know, that's not the way we work. We're, we're a capitalistic, free enterprise, uh, uh, free society. At least that's, that's how we're... Uh, designed to be and who we are in our DNA, and we need to make sure we preserve and protect that. Excellent point. Excellent point. Congressman, tell the folks uh, how, how they can follow you and where they can, because uh, I know you're in, you're you're involved in a uh, hot election. Let uh, folks know where they can follow you. Absolutely, yeah, and, and, and uh, need all the help we can get to make sure that we keep this district in conservative hands. Um, Chip Roy. Uh, C-H-I-P-R-O-Y-T-X is my Twitter handle. It's also my Instagram handle uh, at chiproy.com, C-H-I-P-R-O-Y.com, or at roy.house.gov if you want to go look at my official website to see what we're doing. But the main thing is, is let's all really be optimistic and positive and get out there and go to uh, uh, restaurants and go to retail and get back to work, get back in your car, uh, and just know that we're going to be safe and we can get through this, that if we protect our seniors and our vulnerable populations, nursing homes and assisted living facilities, we're fine. That's the bottom line with all this. Wash your hands, be smart, uh, and protect those that are vulnerable and, and, and get back into the into the saddle. Let's get our economy going again. Exactly. We've been talking with uh, Congressman uh, Chip Roy from the 21st District here in uh, Texas. Congressman, thank you very, very much for taking time and for uh, fighting hard for our freedoms. Thank you. I appreciate it, George. God bless you. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer.